All right, good morning, church. I'm astronaut Allie, or Allie Amaro, um, and I had the pleasure of uh, helping out with BBS this past week and just seeing how Jesus' light shined um, with all the kids that came and all the volunteers. Um, Again, my name is Allie, my husband, and I have been um, attending for about two years now, and we are actually also doing the membership class today. So just, yeah, we're just here all day, all week. But no, as we continue our series about the songs that shape the saints, um, we come to a fight song and a song of victory from the time of Moses. Um, It is a song that celebrates the faithfulness of the God who loves us and stands with us in our most difficult times, um, in our difficult battles. Our passage is Exodus 14, 31 through 15, 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Thank you, Allie. I I just want to go ahead and just take this opportunity to thank all of our VBS teachers one more time. They did a great job this week. It was so much fun to watch. I just, you know, watching uh, watching this team. Allie, I I just think, where'd you go? Uh, Yeah, I think that first grade teachers should just go ahead and run the world because they just... They seem to have a, have a better command on things than, than any of the rest of us. It is so good to see you all this morning. I hope you're enjoying this, this series about the songs that shape the faith of the saints. Uh, let me try something with you. Let, first of all, let me ask you, how many of you all have a fight song? You know, just one of those songs that, that you need to hear to kind of get you in that place, to get you there. How many of you have a fight song? Anyone? Got on your playlist or anything like that? How many, what is it? Just shout it out to me. Anyone? The Imperial March from Star Wars, okay? Okay, any others other than, than our, our Star Wars friend back here? Anybody else? Nobody else has a fight song? Longhorn song, okay, like Texas Fight or, or uh, Eyes of Texas. Any others? Elder Victory Won't Back Down. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, there, I mean, there are lots of different fight songs. I remember my, my, my high school football team, you know, we, we came, uh, I was playing high school football right after Apocalypse Now came out. And so we always busted through the big paper to the flight of the Valkyries. It was really very pretentious, but it was a lot of fun, but it really kind of got you there. So, we, so I have a daughter that graduated from the University of Oklahoma. I have a son at the University of Texas now. We're in this state of fan whiplash, but we have kind of the two fight songs of, you know, we, we're always doing the, you know, the Boomer Sooner and then, you know, Eyes of Texas simultaneously on any, on any given su- uh, Sunday or Saturday, excuse me. But let me, uh, let me just try something. This is kind of an experiment. Um, you know, Callan is our, our worship leader, our, the leader of our band, but I'm going to try something. I think I'm capable of leading you in what I consider to be a universal fight song. Okay, here we go. So if I do this, who knows how to do that with me? 
All right, so if I add to that, we will, we will. That's it. One more time. Perfect. Okay. That's awesome. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you ever just, just like we're in a game, you know, football game, basketball game, baseball game, you know, and that just sort of spontaneously started up. It's like the wave. You can't avoid it, but it just started up. And all of a sudden, let's try it one more time. We will, we will rock you. Good. Who knows? Who sang this? Queen. That's right. Okay. So, but we know that that's not the whole song, right? Because immediately after the We Will Rock You, which is really the fight song, then there came the second part of the song, which was what? That's right. So everybody sing with me. We are the champions, my friends. That's all you get from me on that. <laughs> but, it's, but isn't it cool? Like it's, It starts off as a fight song, and then it songs off with what? A declaration of victory. I mean, within, I mean, within milliseconds, you go from fight song, we will rock you, to we are the champions, my friends. And everybody's swaying. That's when you stop slapping your thighs. You start kind of grabbing the people beside you. You start swaying. And all of a sudden, there's this, this like, I love you guys. I'm going to always stay in touch with you forever way after graduation. You know, but that's when we, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the fight song and then the song of victory after that. You know, we, our schools have fight songs. The church has fight songs. What are some great church fight songs? Like, how about onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before? Or a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. We have all these great hymns, all these great fight songs. But I want to tell you, I think that one of my favorite historical fight songs has got to be our own national anthem. For real, the Star Spangled Banner is one of the world's great fight songs. Now, why do I say that? Francis Scott Key wrote the Star Spangled Banner while being held on a British ship in Baltimore Harbor while Fort McHenry was being bombarded by the British fleet. And as he's standing on the deck, he sees this enormous flag flying over Fort McHenry, and he is just... He's just so moved. He's so impressed. And he starts to pen the words that we all know by heart, that we all sing together you know, time and time again through the years. And, and it's, just, it's just amazing how the, that song has so much power. And to me, it's a, such a powerful song that deserves to be our national anthem because I love it because it's not just a fight song. It's also a victory song, isn't it? I mean, because it's, it's a victory song, but, what, but what's, you know, what are the lines? The rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air. What does that tell you about what, what's happening while he's writing that song, while he's writing the Star Spangled Banner? What is it saying? It's saying the fight's still happening. The bombs are still going off. This is not over, but we're going to declare victory now. This is, this is not done, but we know how it's going to turn out. We know that the victory, we know that the fight is already won. And I think that's why, to me, the Star Spangled Banner is the king of all fight songs because it's also a victory song. It declares victory while the battle is still happening. Now, the passage that we've read today is kind of Israel's national fight song. It was their song of victory. And today, 
We're going to take a look at it. We're going to take a look at the, the perspective, the historical perspective in which it was written, the context in which it was written, but we're also going to, going to consider what it says to us in this moment as this ancient song not only shaped the faith of the saints, but also shapes our faith. So this passage that we've read today, that you've heard today, is about the God who fights and who wins for us. It comes from Exodus 15. Let me give you some background. If you're not familiar with it, the book of Exodus is the part of the Bible that tells us the ancient and inspiring story about how God liberated his people from slavery in Egypt so that they could go and fulfill their destiny and go live a life as God's free and holy people in the promised land. There was only one problem with this plan, and it was the emperor of Egypt who was called the Pharaoh of Egypt, Ramses II. And this is a guy who, who had the largest, most powerful empire in the ancient world. And when Moses and his brother Aaron were told by God to go to Pharaoh and declare that it was time for him to let the people go, not at first, not into freedom, but just out to go out into the wilderness to worship him, Pharaoh said, that's not going to happen. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they said, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob says to let his people go out into the wilderness for a short time so that they may worship me. Well, Pharaoh was not about to let his huge slave labor force take a day off. But really there's something below this. There's something foundational to this argument. And it was this. It's not just that Pharaoh was greedy or that he was just a cruel taskmaster, it's that Pharaoh believed that these were his people. And when I say that, I don't mean they were his people in the sense of affinity or affection or anything like that. They belonged to him. And when this prophet and his brother came and said that, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob wants them to come out and worship for a day, to take a day off, to take a Sabbath, Pharaoh said, I'm not going to have that. These people do not belong to your tribal God. These people belong to me. And what happens in the beginning of the book of Exodus, what kind of pulses through, if you get past the movie versions and everything else, is that what the story does is it is setting this up, not just as a, as a human conflict, but as a divine battle. And what I mean by that is that it is set up as a divine battle between Pharaoh emperor of Egypt, and the one true and holy God. Between Ramses and Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, versus the king of Egypt. It's a divine battle, Pharaoh versus Yahweh. Now, I hope that all of you have been at some point, but I hope that maybe if you haven't been, you'll, you'll go down to the San Antonio Museum of Art. And if you've ever been in there, if you need to go, I believe that they have as one of their permanent exhibits a, a, a set of artifacts from ancient Egypt. Um, I know they have had that in the past, and if you, have it, if you don't see it there, go somewhere else, Smithsonian, any other place where you can see this. And you will see that the way that the pharaoh, the emperor of Egypt, is depicted is not simply as a, a ruler, a first among equals, a, a man among men, but the pharaoh was considered a god. 
He was considered to be the living embodiment of the god Horus. And so when this prophet and his brother come and say, let our people go so they can go worship our God, Pharaoh is saying to them, oh no, they're not going to worship that God. I'm their God now. I am the one who controls their destiny. I am the sun and the morning. I am the night and the stars, and I decide where they go, when they go, when they work, when they don't, and they belong to me. Not only did Pharaoh rule the most ancient and powerful empire on earth, he believed that he was divine. And so the book of Exodus is really setting up a battle between the real God and a false God, a human idol. It's a battle between Pharaoh, the man-made God, and Yahweh, the God who made man. And it's a battle for Israel's soul. Now, as I said, the first round of the battle came when Moses and Aaron just asked that the people go out, be allowed to go out and worship, that they have a day off from work, that they be able to take a day off from work to go to church. So if you're a boss in the room and you don't give your people a day off, listen carefully to what happens next, okay? God takes the Sabbath very seriously. It says, tell Pharaoh to let my people take some time off to go out to the desert. But Pharaoh refused and refused angrily. And so God went to war with Pharaoh and he joined him in battle. Now, when God goes to war, he doesn't simply pick up a gun or pull out a sword or pick up a knife or string a bow and arrow. God uses the weapons appropriate to his station. And for the next few days, God releases a series of 10 plagues on Egypt. Everything from the Nile turning to blood, wrecking the water supply, to infestations of frogs and lice and locusts, destroying the, the food supply, the sun darkening in the sky, the whole land of eternal sun turning into night, so cold and so dark that the Bible says they could actually feel it. Everything that God had at his disposal, he threw at Pharaoh, but still Pharaoh refused. It's like, I don't know who this God is, but I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to do it. And finally, God unleashed one final plague. And many of you already know what this is. It's the, it's the plague that our, our Jewish brothers and sisters celebrate as Passover. But it was when God finally unleashed his angel of death on the land of Egypt. And every firstborn child who was not protected by the blood of the Passover lamb was killed. Every firstborn in Egypt except for those in the household of the Jews, the people of God. This was the blow that finally broke Pharaoh. And he finally told Moses, go, take your people and get out of here. He was so desperate, he was so broken. But then after a couple of days, he realized, I just let my entire labor force go. Not only that, I let a lot of angry ex-slaves go. They're gonna come back. This is dangerous. I've got to stop them. I've got to undo this. And so Pharaoh decided that he was going to not only just regret his decision, but he was gonna fix his mistake. And so Pharaoh sent his entire army to chase after the children of Israel to destroy them. 
when they got to the Red Sea. He knew that they would be pinned against the Red Sea. They would have nowhere to run, and it would be wholesale slaughter by his soldiers, by his chariots, and by the forces that he brought to bear. But once again, God was going to fight for his people. And he did two things. First, he set up a pillar of fire, a wall of fire between the Egyptians and the people of Israel. At night, that, excuse me, by day it became a pillar of smoke, a wall of smoke, so the Egyptians couldn't get through. They couldn't get through the pillar of fire. And then he said to Moses, I want you to raise up your staff. And so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the water parted, and the people of Israel began to march across the sea. And then once they had gotten almost to the other side, God removed the cloud of fire. He removed the pillar of, uh, the pillar of smoke, and that gave the, the Egyptians the signal that it was okay now to chase the people of Israel, so they could kill them once and for all and undo the great shame of Egypt that they had lost to this pilgrim desert slave people. And so they pursued the people of Israel into what was the dry basin of the Red Sea. And then the book of Exodus tells us this. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea and not one of them remained. But the people of Israel escaped on dry ground through the sea. And then when they came to the other side of the sea and they saw what had happened, it says that Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And when they saw that the Egyptians, their oppressors, their destroyers, their pursuers were gone, that they could no longer harass them, they began to sing. They began to celebrate. They absolutely went crazy. It says, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has been thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. For the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had saved them from an extinction-level threat. He fought and he won the battle that they never could have fought or won on their own. And all they could do was sing a song of victory, a song of salvation. They were so elated, so relieved, so celebratory. And this was a formative moment for God's people. This was their Yorktown. It was their Fort McHenry. It was their San Jacinto. It was their D-Day. Because if God had not fought for them and won, they would not have survived. And so from now on, this song and the history that it invoked and the memories that it held shaped the people, reminding them that their God is the God who fights for them. But what's interesting about this song is that 
we hear this song again. We hear it again in the Old Testament. We also hear it again in the New Testament. We hear it about 1,500 years later as part of a vision that the Lord gave to the Apostle John while he was held in exile on the island of Patmos. It appears in the book of Revelation. The Apostle John, you see, and his fellow believers were living in a time of persecution. And it was just starting to get bad, but they could tell it was going to get worse. He'd been exiled to this island, this dismal place where the Roman government could send him away to die so they could get rid of him without the scandal of actually executing him, of actually publicly killing him. But while John was there, God gave him this vision. The Lord sends him a vision, why we call it the book of Revelation, an apocalypsis, or an apocalypse is what the, the Greek word is. It's a vision of things that are happening right then, and it's a vision of things that will happen in the future. And the vision that the Lord gives to John is a revelation of the spiritual battle that is going to take place in heaven and on earth, behind the scenes and in front of our eyes, from, the point, from that point to the day that Christ returns in glory. And part of the point is that this battle is already taking place. Christians are already starting to die, and they're already starting to suffer imprisonment, and they're already starting to suffer rejection for, for following Jesus Christ. And the warning is that even though it's bad now, guess what? I hate to say it, it's going to get a whole lot worse. This spiritual battle is going to have real-life casualties. And all of human culture is going to be wrenched and twisted under the strain until earth itself begins to buckle under the pressure. But the point of the vision is not to make John despair. The point of the vision is to show John and all people who follow Christ that after all of this, God is going to restore the earth with peace and glory and joy the likes of which we have never seen in our history before. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden. It's going to be earth as it is supposed to be, where we live in the presence, the direct presence of God, and we live there without fear, where once again we will know what life is like without sin and brokenness. We don't even know what that's like. I mean, we think on our best days, wow, it's a good day. We have no idea what it would be like to live in a world without sin and brokenness. But first, there's going to be a battle. A battle with Egypt. In Exodus, it was a battle of plagues. In Revelation, the plagues are called tribulations. And they will be the same kind of nasty, natural, and human disasters that God inflicted on Egypt. And it will all end with one final battle in which God's victory is proven once and for all. But it's interesting that in the middle of this vision, this 21-chapter this vision, God begins playing this soundtrack. In the midst of these visions, God brings out this song, this ancient song, this song of victory. And in the vision, John hears the people of God singing. And what are they singing? He says, and they sing the song of Moses, 
the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. They sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. So first of all, who are the they? Who is it that's singing? They are the people who have trusted Christ through the great tribulations, through the great calamities and temptations and battles described in Revelation. They're the ones who have not only endured persecution, but who have, in a sense, conquered the Antichrist by faith in Jesus. They are the followers of Christ who have bet their lives on Jesus and trusted God even when the world says, you are crazy, you are delusional, maybe even you are backwards and evil. These are the people who trusted God in spite of all of that, even when they literally suffered slavery and poverty, persecution and dungeon and fire and sword. And what were they singing? Well, first it says they were singing the song of Moses, that great victory song of the Exodus about the Lord fighting for his people, saving them from destruction. They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? That is, who will not take you seriously? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Song of Moses. But then he also says they sing the song of the lamb. What is the song of the lamb? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, what is the song of the lamb? What's that song? This is the eternal victory song, the heavenly song of the victory and glory of Jesus. This is the song of the Lord's greatest victory, his victory over death by his own death and resurrection. The battle that every human being, every follower of Jesus Christ has to fight is the battle against sin and death. Every day, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, we struggle against brokenness, and the selfishness and the apathy and the temptations and the idols within us. And every day we have to stand against and endure the cruelty and the indifference and the injustice and the politics and the persecution and perversion and corruption all around us. And every day, every single one of us must also face the enemy of death, that final enemy that haunts us that makes us afraid for ourselves and for the people we love, that infests our lives with fear of everything from disease to disability. And I know that some of you all in this room are young and you're not thinking about this yet, but I promise you, when your hair looks like this, you will. (laughs) I thought that too. But the book of Revelation confirms that first, Jesus is the Lion of Judah, who fights our battles and wins our victory for us because he is also the lamb of God. He is both the lion and the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave was a battle that he fought to win his eternal victory over sin and death. 
in that battle, a battle he fought by himself on Golgotha, a battle he fought by himself against, at the time, the grandest and strongest empire in the world, was a battle to destroy both the, the permanence of death and the control and the fear that it has over our lives. You see, Jesus not only defeated death, him, death itself by rising from the grave, the book of Hebrews also says that Jesus came to conquer our fear of death. Why is that important? Because we don't die every day, but, but every day we make decisions in knowledge of our mortality. Because every day we second-guess things because we aren't sure what might happen to us, whether it's relationally or physically or in any other way. But Jesus came to save us from the fear of death. Because through his death and resurrection, the power and the permanence of death were broken. And the resurrection proves from now on that whatever death can corrupt, whatever sin can mutilate or destroy, even when we die, whatever death can take away, God can take back, can give back. Because if God can give back anything that death can take away, we no longer have to be afraid of death. We no longer have to be afraid of it, and we are no longer con slaves controlled by the fear that kills our confidence. We don't ever have to be paranoid again. We don't have to be selfish or, or, or live in a fear that short circuits our compassion or paralyzes us with grief or makes us manipulative control freaks. The death of death sets us free to be the people that God meant for us to be. And so the song of Moses, coupled with the song of the Lamb, reminds us that God not only fought our battles in the past, but he has fought the, the battles for you and me in the present and that he continues to fight for us. The fight song is also a declaration of victory. In Revelation, it comes in like the soundtrack of a movie to cue us to understand that as bad as persecution looks, as bad as sin looks, as bad as our calamities look, with a whole empire arrayed against you, don't lose hope. Don't give up because God is with you. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Gloriously, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Moses sang this song because God fought for his people saving them from extinction and freeing them to live as his people. And we hear it again in John's vision because it was a song of victory and hope for people who were in the jaws of their own apocalyptic battle of persecution and suffering. But you know what? We need to know it now because this is a song for us, not just for the children of Israel and not for the just for the persecuted Christians of the early church. It is a song for us now. Because this song is a declaration of the victory of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is not just a song for people in the past or the saints of the future. It's a song for you now. 
for anybody who was suffering persecution. This is a declaration that God fights for you. For anyone who is struggling against sin and temptation, this is, a per- this is an announcement that God has already won the victory. You do not have to be enslaved. He has set you free. You see, because on the, when Jesus died on the cross, he gave birth to our will, to our free will, our ability to choose not to fall into sin. And so Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross and by his resurrection, has declared that you are free and that anything that scares you or anything that death can take away, God can give back. So this is a song of victory then that God fought for his people then. It's a song of victory now that he is fighting for you now. And it is a song of victory forever that he will win forever. So let me get real specific. What's the battle you're fighting right now? Addiction, fear, brokenness, temptation, persecution. I could go down the whole list. Poverty. What is it that's pursuing you? What is it that's hounding your heels? What is it that's harassing you and making you afraid? You know, whom or what battle do you need the Lord to fight on your behalf? The the question that haunts us now is this. Does God still fight our battles? Is he real? Does he still care? And the answer from the song of Moses to the song of the Lamb is yes. He is with you. The Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God still fights for you. He still cares. He has not left you as orphans, as Jesus said. By his Holy Spirit, he is with us. This is his promise, and this is the testimony of the song of victory. How does it shape our faith? It reminds us that whatever our situation may be, we are not walking toward victory, some hopeful victory. We are walking from victory. Jesus has already died on the cross. He has already been raised in the tomb. Death has already been defeated. The fear of death no longer has any control over you, no more than you give it. And so therefore, you are free. Another way we would say this is you are saved. And if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a song about what the Lord has done for me. This is a song about what the Lord has done for you. But here's another, here's another piece to this. It's not just a song for people in the past. It's not just a song for the people in the future. It's a song for us. It's a reminder that you are not here by accident. If you're here today, you're here for a reason. I don't mean that you're here for a reason because you come every Sunday or because somebody dragged you here for the first time, whether it's your first time or whether it's your thousandth time in this church. You were here today. You are here today because God meant you to hear that today God is fighting for you. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you brought in here today, but I want you to hear this. He is struggling for you. He is fighting for you. And guess what? He has already won the victory. It may not look like you think it's supposed to look, but he 
is fighting for you and he has already won the battle. You may feel like you're trapped between Pharaoh's army and the deep blue sea. You may feel like you are trapped in a battle that you cannot win, but you need to know that God is real, that he cares for you, and he is fighting for you. And so there are two things I want us to do. First, as we leave here today, I want you to remember this song. Remember that horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. There's no one like our God. And he is the God who fights our battles and has already won our victory for us. It's a fight song and a victory song. So remember that song. But also, share the song. Maybe you're not the one who's in the middle of the battle right now. You've been through battles. But maybe you're not the one right this moment. But you know somebody who is. You know somebody who is fighting a battle. It feels like they are pressed and they are trapped and they can't get any relief. Share this song with them. Share with them the promise that Jesus Christ has already won the victory. And remember to tell them you are not alone. The Lord is fighting on your behalf. And even when it feels like nobody else is fighting with you, that you're fighting alone, he is with you. Remember, we are not walking to victory, we are walking from victory. The battle is already won. Our God fights for you. He gave his life for you to prove it. And as bad as it looks, with the rocket's red glare and the bombs bursting in the air, our God is still there. So let this song, this song, this song of salvation, the song of victory, shape you and know that he has set you free. You pray with me. We thank you, Lord, for giving us this time to declare your victory. You saved your people from the armies of Pharaoh. You gave your life on the cross to save us from sin and death. And then you showed us that Whatever trouble or persecution we may have to endure, you will fight with us, you will be with us, and you will hold us in the palm of your hand. So God, remind us of your victory, remind us of your truth, and remind us of your power so that we may share that truth with others. In Jesus' name, amen.